This is Stories of Win, where we showcase amazing women in neuroscience. We chat with them about their research, their unique journeys through academia, and what drives their passion for studying the brain. Here is one of their stories. Hey everybody, I'm Daniela with Stories of Win, and I'm here today for a very special episode with Nancy, Katie, and Megan, also of Stories of Win. And we're going to talk about our experiences with Stories of Win over the years. The reason for this very special episode is that it is our 100th episode. And so we're very excited to have this discussion and uh, share it all with you. So Nancy, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah. First, I want to say how meta it is that we're having this like episode to discuss our experiences with the podcast, which is uh, really awesome opportunity to connect with our audience and and let them know sort of like where this came from. So I'm an assistant professor at the University of Florida, Nancy Valle Coriano. And so I started my lab there about a year and a half ago. And when I started with Stories of Win, I'm one of the co-founders. I was actually a, a postdoc at the Salk Institute in San Diego. Thanks, Nancy. How about you, Katie? Hi, I'm Katie Perfacci. I'm also one of the co-founders of Stories of Win. I am currently a postdoc in Dr. Ardem Padapudian's lab at Scripps Research in San Diego. But actually, when the podcast started, I was a graduate student uh, in the neurosciences program at UC San Diego. Thanks, Katie. And I am Megan Kirchgesner. I'm also a co-founder of Stories of Win, and currently I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the lab of Dr. Robert Fremke at the NYU School of Medicine. And I uh, was also previously a UCSD neurosciences graduate student when we started this project. Thanks, everybody. With that, I think we should start by talking about how we all came together. So the origin story of Stories of Win. So Nancy, I can start. Yeah. Yeah. So it all started when I was a, a postdoc at MIT and I was at the seminar, you know, I got included as one of the members of the seminar committee. And, you know, that's like a huge deal because, you know, it's like invited seminar speakers at MIT and they're like neuroscience department, cognitive and brain sciences. Um, so, you know, um, I took the job very seriously and specifically I was tasked together with another postdoc to collect uh, seminar suggestions from the postdoc community. And this is a huge postdoc community. Like the building has probably like a hundred postdocs just in neuroscience. And we collected probably like 50 suggestions and we were discussing them um, one by one, trying to narrow it down to perhaps like five people or something. And an hour into our discussion of one by one, my friend who was uh, the postdoc, the other postdoc in the committee stopped me and said like, wait, Nancy, we can't use this list. Like this list is not good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? These are like amazing scientists. Like, you know, really, I think people will show up for some of these talks. Like, you know, these are really good suggestions. And he said, there's not a single woman in this list. And I was like, no, it can't be. It can't be. So I looked at it and I, he asked me, did you suggest a name of a woman? And I was like, no, I, I put three people but none of them were women. And I was like, what about you? Did you suggest any of and, and he was like, no, I didn't. I put two people, but they're not a woman. And we kind of like, and it was this horrible moment of like, wow, like none of the postdocs that submitted name, including myself and my friend, thought of a woman to invite. And so that felt like we're supposed to be the next generation, right? Postdocs are still trainees. So these are like the next generation of assistant professors and so on are... I guess, bias, you know, like nobody thought of a woman. Is it actually possible that there's not like enough women in neuroscience that like we wouldn't even think of them? And so that that experience made me think about visibility because I felt like obviously there's women in neuroscience and perhaps they're not as visible, um, which contributes to the bias. And I just wanted to educate myself and educate my peers. And that was, I wanted to do something about it. I didn't know what, but I wanted to do something about it. And I contacted the person that I knew that had done a lot of science communication, which was Katie, because Katie and I overlapped in grad school at the beginning um, in New York City before she moved to San Diego. So I was like, I knew at that time that I was actually moving to San Diego to continue my postdoc. So 
I was like, coincidentally, Katie was in San Diego. I think I would have still emailed you if you were somewhere else. Um, but I was like, Katie, you know, I want to do something. I don't, I didn't know what I'm, I'm very talkative. So the idea of a podcast was like, um, an easy idea for me. Cause I was listening. I remember back then I was listening to like some of Oprah Winfrey's <laughs> podcast, like, um, and really liking it. Like I love her style. And <laughs> so I was like, Oh, but, you know, I could like, you know, learn about women in neuroscience by interviewing them, you know, like, so that, that was like a natural idea. Um, so that, that's how it started for me. Yeah. And so as Nancy mentioned, um, so I, I transferred grad schools. I um, started in New York City in Columbia's graduate program and overlap there with Nancy. We weren't the same year, but we were both part of the neurosciences outreach program. Um, so we knew each other already through like an outreach group, as Nancy said. And yeah, so I think it was it was like four years after I left Columbia that this little email popped up in my <laughs> in my inbox from Nancy kind of detailing this awesome idea. And she was really asking. So she was about to move to San Diego and she was kind of asking me, like, do you have any ideas of like organizations in San Diego that might like fund this project so I can like get it off the ground or other do you have any advice for resources for science communication and and I had actually so when we met I was doing more outreach stuff but in San Diego I had actually been really focused on science communication um through Neurite San Diego um that's n-e-u-w-r-i-t-e -E. <laughs> um check check it out at the great blog posts uh weekly um and so and like comsicon and anyway so i kind of had this network here of people who had similar interests in science communication and i had helped get funding for for um comsicon and so i knew some organizations that were were willing to do that type of funding and the last line of nancy's email was like even better like do you think you maybe would want to do it with me <laughs> oh my god I totally <laughs> forgot that I was that forward <laughs> um and so maybe I wrote no pressure at the yeah, end of you the sentence you did right you did right okay. no pressure I know grad school is really tough <laughs> um but I immediately was like, oh, my gosh, this sounds like such a, an important cause and such a great idea. Um, and so I was all I was right away all in. And I was just like, let's do it. Tell me more about your vision. And Nancy really had like a complete vision already, which was awesome. So I could just help her realize that vision, I think. Um, and yeah, part of that was finding like a small team to get started. And so. Uh, Megan and I, Megan was doing Neurite with me. Um, and I think we, I, she was one person who I would trust absolutely with any, uh, writing, editing. Um, we have similar, uh, <laughs> writing styles, except oh, yes. for the Oxford comma, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Oh no! Now all our listeners are gonna hate us. I know it's okay. Well, they won't know who's or hate They me won't know who's on which. They, we won't tell oh, them who's on which I side. Don't tell them who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's very generous. Um, of you. I, I found out from from writing, <laughs> from having both of you edit mine, and I was like, all right. Then. I like having some hot takes. What do we say? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so. Um, did you have anything more, Katie? Oh, uh, yeah. Just also that um, one of our other friends in the neuro grad program, Marley, um, I knew she was an incredible artist and we were very much in need of someone who could do like a graphic design for our logo. Um, so Marley was also one of our co-founders. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, and I don't remember like exactly how you reach out to me, Katie, but obviously we were in touch. Katie and I were in the same cohort in graduate school. And um, yeah, I was like directing Neurite San Diego at the time. And we always sort of like, in addition to being friends and cohort mates, we definitely bonded over a shared love of writing and science communication. So, um, so yeah, she reached out to me with this idea of Nancy. I had not yet ever met Nancy before. Um, we had no connection previously, but she was moving to San Diego and was going to be moving into the lab right next door to mine. 
Right. So, <laughs> I'm your lab neighbor. Yeah. So I was sort of like, oh, well, this sounds cool. Like, this one would sound super cool. I'm excited to like be lab neighbors. And also this project sounds really cool. Um, I think, yeah, the writing connection was like you, as Katie said, you already had a pretty clear vision of both this podcast, but also sort of a written profile collection of profiles of the women that we interviewed. And so, you know, I think both Katie and I were like, oh, we could do that. Um, and, and of course, just being invested in the larger vision of the project. And I think, you know, not so not only was I enthusiastic to join as a way, you know, just to like write some more because I enjoy it and to, you know, work with both of you who I already admire Katie and expected to admire you, Nancy, which I do now. Um, but also I think like just during the course of graduate school was becoming more and more just cognizant of, you know, the unique challenges facing women in neuroscience in a way that I hadn't really been at earlier stages of my education and becoming more and more aware of like, oh, when you look up at the professors who are here, you know, there are very few women. So so not only was I excited about kind of the day to day of the project, but definitely I think it came at a good time where like the mission that you had um, really like resonated with me. So it was kind of a no brainer when Katie asked me to join. I was like, absolutely count me in. So That's awesome. Yeah. I remember hearing rumblings of something that Nancy was working on because I actually was a rotation student uh, with her as my advisor uh, role. Oh, I forgot yeah. that. You, I, you know that I had that responsibility yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, can I help you with anything you need this summer? <laughs> and um, so in between <laughs> um, between making Tetrodes, um, you know, Nancy and I would t- talk and just like learn about every- each other and stuff. And uh, she showed me this Argentinian comic artist that would that made this comic called Mafalda and all these like really cute things. And I I remember in getting to know her, she mentioned this project she was working on uh, with other people here. She's like, "Do you know you know Katie, Megan, Marley?" I was like, "Yeah, I know them all," because um, I um, <laughs> was in the uh, neurograd program uh, as a first year. So when I heard her description of the vision of the project, I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Like, I just also loved the story of how it uh, sort of organically came together. And around that time, I was also getting interested in sort of like some ideas that I had for sound art projects and things things just like that with just getting creative with sound and I was like you know I'm actually trying to learn how to edit sound waveforms and I don't really know anything about the programs that are the standard ones Um, but um, if you guys need an audio person I feel like I would be super down to help in that capacity. Basically, I was like, do you have anyone doing the sound? Like, do, what's what are you doing on the technical side? And we didn't. So it was so <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. The match made it Yeah, happen. exactly. So I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. Um, so that's how I started. Um, but then I got very much more interested in the uh, all the getting to know all the women and even did some interviews as well. Uh, just so yeah. I don't think we thought much about how necessary <laughs> it is of a sound editor for a podcast. Like, I just don't think we had even, I don't think we would be here on our 100th episode if it weren't for you, Daniel. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, no one would want to listen to all of our, oh like, my God, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was wild when I was getting to know the the back end of what that even looks like. And it's a, it is a very strangely intimate relationship you have when you are editing someone's audio. <laughs> very, very, very cool experience. But I was going to say... You know, we're all talking about, we're talking about like, yes, the vision for the podcast, the vision for the podcast. Um, has your reason for doing this podcast changed over the years? Maybe Megan, you could start this time. Yeah, honestly, yes. Um, like pretty significantly. Um, you know, I mean, again, I think 
Nancy came in with a really like pretty clear and compelling vision. Um, and we always had sort of a multi-pronged vision of, you know, highlighting women, but also, you know, speaking towards the next generation and stuff. But I think um, earlier on, I was thinking more of it as like a visibility thing. Um, I remember in early discussions us t talking about this as kind of a extended, like more detailed ANS list, which for those who aren't familiar, ANS list was started by Ann Churchland and was more just kind of a, a literal list of like women. Um, I think it started specifically in like computational and systems neuroscience. Um, but anyway, that was more of a list of names. And we were sort of like, oh, in addition to just their names, we also want to go more into like their story and stuff. But I still, at least personally, I think I was mostly thinking about the like vi visibility aspect of things. Um, but as we went on, um, you know, frankly, I got, I sort of realized how much like I was benefiting from it, like selfishly, and just hearing um, the stories of women and how people had such different journeys that they went through. And so um, I started realizing that, you know, hearing about their challenges and, you know, not just learning their names, but everything that went behind the science, like I took away a lot from that. And so I think we started to realize and particularly from reaching out to our audience that, you know, it wasn't just me who was taking away a lot from hearing about the challenges and some of the hard parts and more of the details of the journey that the women were going through, but also our audience was really resonating with that. So um, for sure, we still really care about the visibility and, you know, this is still like a repository of a lot of women in different fields, but um, also we've really, you know, made it a point now of in our interviews, we always ask women to discuss a challenge that they faced. And you know, I don't think we initially did that as um, consistently. Yeah, true. yeah. So, so that's something I think, you know, that's changed as a project, but for me, that's really shifted my own perspective um, and really what I like sort of selfishly and personally take away from all of it, but I think has also shaped kind of how I approach the project and the women that I suggest we should interview and, and things like that. I'll uh, add on to that. I totally agree with that. And I think that's has been true for me as well. I think, yeah, I think when we started, we had this two-pronged uh goal and which was one as Megan was talking about to increase the visibility of women in science and then I think sort of on a secondary note we are hoping to inspire young women who who kind of maybe didn't think of a career in neuroscience and maybe this podcast would you know inspire them to to go into science and I really wasn't thinking much about kind of the middle uh ground of women in graduate school and and doing postdocs who are maybe trying to think about whether they want to stay in academia, I think hearing, you know, not only like the good things, but the bad things too, and these women's journeys as like whole human beings, uh, I think has been really incredible for me. And I imagine actually that maybe in the end, the bulk of our audience is in that, is in that middle ground. So, um, it's been exciting to see. I just didn't actually realize how much I was wanting role models until I got them through this podcast, I think. And I I think just like on a personal note, particularly like I'm hoping to have a family and I think that is fairly daunting when you're looking at the academic career path to try to figure out if, if that's possible. And so it's been really nice for me, especially to hear um, from women who who have families and and hear how they made it work. Yeah, I also um, want to say that, like Megan and Katie, I've taken more from it than I expected. You know, I thought like, oh, here's like you know my contribution to like the community to increase visibility of women. You know, like there it was as as you guys mentioned, like more focused on their discoveries and their science, but the power of storytelling is such that I was able, I've been able through the years and that's what keeps me committed because obviously I have a lab at this point, right? So my commitments have, ex my responsibilities have grown since the beginning of our project. But what keeps me super committed is not only that I believe in it and I know like how positive it is, but it gives me a sense of belonging. It's 
uh, I, in a very unexpected way, it's connected me to the community of neuroscience because I've had personal um, interactions with the women that I interview, and I, regardless of their background, regard because you know sometimes they're 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 not from similar backgrounds uh, to me, but hearing their stories and their challenges makes me feel more connected. Makes me feel more like a neuroscientist. Like so, it's built a sense of belonging for me that. I, has been super beneficial and increased my resilience through like, you know, like my postdoc years and, and now as faculty. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the power of feeling like you're not alone. <laughs> you can do almost anything if you feel like you're not alone. I mean, yes, yes. So in a similar vein, what have you learned from doing the pod? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the, the things I have learned is kind of very related to to what Nancy was just talking about in terms of community, the importance of community, which sounds very obvious, but I think sometimes you don't realize that you're lacking it until you uh, find it and then realize um, that you had been missing it before. And I think uh, that was true for me. It really, this project had really brought me a sense of community with other women in the same career path, um, which I I hadn't realized that I needed as much as I think I did need. Um, and I think also many of our interviewees, especially those from minoritized backgrounds in, in the sciences, speak really explicitly about the importance of finding community and how much that was necessary for them um, in this career path. So I think it's just really brought home the importance of community. And then, of course, like the community of our group has been just really amazing for me uh, personally. And uh, while COVID was obviously awful in so many ways, uh, it's it forced us to kind of virtualize. And so now our our little group is is international, which is so fun. Yeah, I love saying that. Like when I onboard people, I say we have like time zones from France to like the Pacific Coast. So you know we uh, we really are virtual. It's, when I was doing our social media meeting at six thirty a.m. last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, I learned um, one of the big lessons for me is how common imposter syndrome is. Even like full professors that I've interviewed still, you know, like mention it as a thing that happens. Like, and so that for me has been so helpful to to like calm my own imposter syndrome, which is something that I felt since like grad school. It's like, oh, well, this is just normal. Like it's normalized it in a way that is, has been really great for my career. Yeah. I like totally ditto that actually. I was like, I feel like around the time when I joined this project in grad school, I was feeling imposter syndrome pretty intensely and I don't I don't believe that it ever goes away it certainly hasn't for me but I I do think that um being this project has really quite tangibly helped me um face that and and relatedly I think I also learned or one of the things that's really struck me from all the interviews we've done and hearing women's stories is just how like non-linear people's journeys are and how diverse and you know and how people experience many moments of doubt along the way I think that was a big thing for me was like you know I was kind of interested in a career in academia academia but definitely lacked a lot of confidence imposter syndrome you know had some doubts about whether it really was the right career journey for me and that almost I almost took that like lack of confidence and lack of certainty as sort of disqualifying, or I thought that those were like essential qualities of, you know, a professor or something. And so it was actually really interesting and heartening to hear from all these women who had moments of like, I don't know if this is for me. And a lot of women applied for other jobs and were like very explicitly considering other paths. Um, And even women who said like now they could go do something, you know, and so I think um that was really like clarifying for me and helped kind of broaden my mind of what you know a pi what a woman in neuroscience could be and that helped me be more confident and being like yes i do want to do this um so again kind of ties into very related to sort of how my perspective and like being in this has changed but it's really maybe that shouldn't have surprised me but it really i i feel like i learned a lot of that just how yeah, much doubt and uncertainty people faced along the way. There was something that you said just now, Megan, that kind of struck me that was like, 
yeah, like I thought, or like I didn't know about how much doubt other people experienced, or I thought that it would look like this, right? I think we all thought that this career would look like a certain way as, you know, humans with brains and we, you know, predict things. Um, but I think that being able to free yourself from whatever that idealized version of a path looks like and realizing that there is none really, um, that's the thing that this I think showed me that was very surprising. I think it's that it's the, is that there is no, ideal, you know, you got to go from this to the next thing to the next thing. There is like a loose structure for sure. Um, but there are lots of ways to get there. Um, and there's not, you know, a correct or incorrect way. Um, there's just the way that you do it. And that does a lot of things that validates you and your authentic self. And it also, over time, I would like to see imposter syndrome be less used as a term, I think, because it sort of puts the, um, puts the focus on the people feeling excluded or that they don't belong, right? And that it's their fault that they feel that. We're literally calling it yeah, a syndrome. Yeah, we're really, we're really pathologizing something. That, but, but yeah, that's true. It's just normal feeling. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, once we realize yeah. that it's just typical and it's like, that's the first step. But then uh, in projecting into the future, I could totally see, I, I've definitely envisioned this before, but you know, a world where it's, it's more about like, well, what does that mean then? Does that mean that there's some, you know, stuff going on in that system that we're a part of that is contributing to it. And I think that that's what this pod totally addresses as well. So yes, I can't agree more. Um, what has surprised or what have been some surprises you guys have experienced in this project throughout, throughout the years? I'm always like genuinely surprised when I find out that people listen to the podcast, <laughs> like strangers who don't know yeah. us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think... As we sort of discussed before, this project has been like, we all enjoy doing it so much that I <laughs> I think we don't think about our audience very much, <laughs> which is maybe something bad that we should do more often. But yeah, I think um, I'm just surprised that we, ha <laughs> we have an audience. I remember when I was interviewing um, Dr. Aya Osman, uh, she, so she's a postdoc and she... Um, had at the beginning of our interview like I think before we started recording she was like yeah I hadn't heard of you guys but I mentioned to to uh two of the grad students in my lab that uh, I was doing this podcast thing and they were like oh my god you're gonna be on stories of win and so it's just like so fun for me to hear that, that these grad students were were listening to the podcast um but so no but like in a more serious answer um I think not only, Daniela, you were just mentioning kind of like the di different trajectories that people take to get to like to and through an academic career. Uh, and I think not only that, but I don't know, to me, it's been striking just the the different personalities of people who've been successful. Um and I think there's a sense of like what kind of woman can succeed in academic science. And this project has really like shattered any type of like the concept that there is any type of mold for me, which is awesome. And I mean, certainly there's st still like a staggering influence of privilege of many types in this career path. And so I'm not talking about that and I don't mean to minimize that. Um, but in terms of like personality and work style, like I think there like really has not been a trend. Like all of the people we interview are so different from each other. Um, so that has been very cool and surprising to me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I like very explicitly remember early in grad school thinking like, oh, like I might be interested in this, but like I'm not super outspoken in like meeting or like I don't like, like interrupting people with a lot of questions. Like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. So. And yeah, I totally agree that just even hearing the difference in personalities and ways people approach things, it's like, yeah, that's fine. You can come at it from many different ways. And yeah, I've, I found that really personally hopeful and fulfilling. Um, and relatedly too, just like, yeah, I feel like in a similar theme, just like, yeah, so many of these stereoty like stereotypes just 
don't hold true for a lot of women. I mean, certainly some do and I, and but, you know, like I feel like so many of the women we've talked to, you know, weren't necessarily like I want to be a scientist from the time that they were young, which I guess was a stereotype I had in my mind of like, you know, this is some like sort of lifelong geniuses. Yes. <laughs> um, lifelong, like committed to science. Um, you know, so many women we talked to didn't even know what a PhD was for a long time. And, and um, you know, it wasn't until they had a particularly like impactful research experience or mentor or something that they really started even considering this career path. And so, um, yeah, I feel like just seeing it, it's really made me have a different perspective of like who who are and who can be like um, researchers and professional PIs in this field. You know, I think so many it, previously I might have thought, you know, they're kind of the select again, like lifelong geniuses who, you know, could go on to achieve this path. And now I really don't believe that at all. I think that's kind of bullshit. Like, I think so many people could be really swayed towards or away from this career path for any variety of, of reasons. And so it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. And there's not one major, right? Like there's not one major that will lead you to do a PhD in neuroscience, like as an undergrad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that big I, time. I feel like we've interviewed women with philosophy Absolutely. undergrads, like uh, people that were gonna go to law school. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I feel like in some way, I, I don't know, we should quantify this maybe at some point, but I feel like the women who like were doing like biology or like specific from the get go, as opposed to people who are doing very other, even like social science or humanities fields, I feel like those are actually the majority people coming from outside fields in as opposed to um, following a more direct path. Anyway, that surprised me. And maybe now I don't feel like it should have. Now it feels like, oh, of, of course, but but it did, frankly. So what have been some of the challenges that I guess the project as a whole has faced? I think that as our, our podcast grows and we become aware that people listen, then it becomes, it's it's a more powerful decision. Who do we interview? Mm. Um, so balancing who we interview has been hard from the beginning. Uh, at the very, very beginning, we were gravitating towards women we knew because it was like we were nobody so I was like hey can you <laughs> give me an hour of your time for this thing that you can't I can't even show you what it is <laughs> um and then after that you know we were like oh wait a minute like we have too many women from the same types of institutions or like you know like it, it became this little bubble and and we wanted to like come out of that bubble um and we've been trying to balance ethnicity, race, and some non-visible sources of diversity, like whether people are from the LGBTQ community or their religion. And those are even harder because they're not as visible. And especially with race, given the pool that exists, it becomes really challenging, right? Because if you don't, if you don't consider race, then you're gonna have a very homogeneous like uh group of of women by default, you know, without uh, excluding people. It's just simply the default based on the pool. So you have to work extra hard to identify potential interviewees. Um, and then the other thing is that our project is not large enough to just take, accommodate like any requests. So then that's also something that we've challenged with, right? Like sometimes people give us like suggestions, but we don't have the bandwidth to just interview everyone. So, so that's, that's always like in my mind of like, it's, it's a balancing act that is not perfect and that we're always trying to be better with it. Yeah. I was going to say it's a similar thing, just kind of the practical challenge of like, we're all volunteers. We're doing this for fun but we also you know are postdocs or PIs or grad students and have our own responsibilities we're trying to balance so I feel like there's always kind of like constant nagging like oh I could be doing more but you know we're limited and um and I think that's it's reasonable we're limited but it's it's a challenge nonetheless yeah and then I agree with everything that that Nancy and Megan just said and I have a I guess a little anecdote of another Another challenge, I think like the biggest challenges have come in our, some of our periods of growth because for a while we were like a very small group and then we started adding some more um, team members and kind of as we were expanding the team, we started having these discussions about, well, should we also expand kind of the idea of the podcast and like move into interviewing 
you know, women in neuro-related fields in like in industry and sort of like, you know, expand it in that direction. And so we had a lot of deep discussions trying to talk about and like really solidify what the mission of the project is. And so ultimately we decided to stay within the niche of of interviewing women in academia, but it was a tough decision and it, it did take a lot of reflection. Yeah, I think now sort of we're entering a new phase of growth and I think now, yeah, now we're facing some practical problems of like how to manage so many volunteers there and and so many different, we now have like many teams within our team. Um, as Megan said, this is not our primary job by a long shot. And so just kind of finding the time and, and resources to make sure we get you a podcast every two weeks um, can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge, but we're working on it. <laughs> Yeah, and then the more you grow, the more responsibility gets diluted, right? So like, because there's more people, so then it, it becomes more important to manage everyone in order to make sure that like there's clear responsibilities and clear communication in our many time zones that we yes. cover with our volunteers. I guess it's good, uh, good learning team management skills for maybe yeah. someday running a lab if I, if I do that. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. To keep cohesiveness as the amount of people grows. But yeah, speaking of this next growth phase, how has the project evolved to this point? One of the biggest way we've evolved is that we we used to, um, well, before the pandemic, when we were interviewing just in person, it was basically interviewing people that came to our seminar series in our local universities, or maybe we went to a conference and then interviewed a couple women there. But as we had volunteers in different countries, we became international because then they were they their networks and their circles are different, um, which is why it's so great to have volunteers in in different institutions, different countries, at different fields, because then they have different circles of the women that they're exposed to. Um, so, yeah, that's a major way from national to international coverage of women in neuroscience and um uh, maybe like a year ago, we started uh, translating our profiles to Spanish. Um, so we have a translation team so to reach a more general audience and younger students in Latin America. Yeah, related to that, like, yeah, part of becoming more international really came out of the pandemic and forcing us to evolve as it did for many. Um, but I think for us in particular, it really forced us to evolve and I would say like completely positive and like kind of needed ways. Um, you know, I think before we were pretty, we were a bit fixated on like interviewing people in person, um, you know, people who were coming for seminars and stuff. But of, of course, as you know, Nancy introduced right at the beginning, often the people coming for seminars aren't necessarily the most diverse um, sample of the greater neuroscience population. Um, so particularly like when the Black Lives Matter movement really exploded and, and came to the forefront in the summer of 2020, you know, I think we really took a hard look at ourselves um, and realized that we'd really been frankly failing um, in a lot of regards um, in highlighting like a truly diverse cohort of women. Um, so like during that summer, we had a lot of discussions discussing our shortcomings and we worked hard to craft a mission statement that really centered around intersectionality and that would really guide us and hold ourselves accountable moving forward. And in the pandemic, when we were forced to be virtual, you know, now we had no excuses. <laughs> we didn't just have to interview the people coming to visit our institutions, you know, truly could interview anyone anywhere. And so I that really I think you can probably even look at our website starting around um, the time of the pandemic and see the women we um, highlighted before and the women hi we highlighted after and I, I personally am really kind of proud of of that evolution that we had um, of really taking kind of the extra effort to reflect the the full diversity of of women in neuroscience you know it's it's something we're always continuing to work on and like self-reflect on. But um, I think that was a very like tangible way in which we 
evolved, um, coming out of very sort of logistics <laughs> imposed by the pandemic, but had a really positive impact overall. Yeah. And so I am excited to see where or how it continues to evolve. Have you all thought about where you see stories of wind moving towards in the future? Yeah, I mean, I really think we have so much room to improve in terms of building a, a bigger listening base. Uh, yeah, maybe it's this more uh, of an issue among the co-founders because we kind of started it with the idea that we're going to do this thing and maybe we'll, no one will listen. But um, And I don't know if, if any of us have really gotten <laughs> out of that mindset, but but maybe no. now with some of the, the new members who, who found us through listening um, can really kind of take this idea and just try to figure out how how to give us a bigger reach. Because I think, I mean, it sounds like people, we have benefited from from doing the project. I think it sounds like people are benefiting from listening to these interviews. So I think it would be really cool if we, if we could really expand that base. And I think part of that is just, um, yeah, we're all millennials who maybe aren't the best at social media. And I think, um, if we, I think now we have a new social media team. So I'm really excited to see what they can do with kind of expanding our, our listening base. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if we had all of the, like, time and energy and money in the world I feel like I would love to see stories of when get more into like community building um, you know starting to hold more like in-person or virtual events bringing together like our team and interviewees and listeners like all together um, and you know something that we've found through our interviews and highlighted in like our commentary piece through um, Journal of Neuroscience and stuff was, you know, seeing how important like early influential positive uh, research experiences are. So, you know, again, if we had all the time, energy, money in the world, I would love to you know, get more involved in funding and creating like more research opportunities for young women. Um, I think that's maybe a more like distant future plan, at least right now, given our current limitations but I, I feel like there is a lot of untapped opportunity there yeah and the more and more immediately i i hope that we can get sufficient funding to just scale it up scale it up enough that we can have administrative and technical support so that like our volunteers that come with like more neuroscience knowledge then we can focus on like um on the the content rather than you know maybe the technical side of it or the administrative, like, you know, because we do send emails and, like, collect, like, pictures and, uh, you know, make sure people are okay with what we're publishing and things like that. So that would be, like, an intermediate dream between what Megan said and and how do we get there? <laughs> yeah, that's a much more practical, like, let's, how would we actually get there? That I, is an absolutely essential step, I think. So this next question along with the challenges question, is actually really similar to the way that we actually conduct our interviews with uh, each woman that we interview. So at the end, we usually end with something that's a little more, um, more like playful and uh, lighthearted. Easy breezy. <laughs> yeah, easy breezy. Yeah. So <laughs> what were some of your favorite moments from the experience of stories of win up to this point. I would have to say that my one of my favorite moments has been interviewing Dr. Huda Akil um, because you know she she's a, one of the most like established and you know prominent scientists that we've interviewed, which means that her early career was in an other in a in a different reality of what neuroscience looked like you know it might have even been pharmacology rather than neuroscience and her passion for science and like discovery was just so so contagious but also it was really really cool to hear it, like I, I think I have like a little passion for science history and like how science has been done through the decades and like how you know technology changes how we can do science and how how the scientific process happens and one some of her anecdotes made it so clear how different it was you know how like things like email have evolved how we do science she talks about like writing letters to potential collaborators and mailing 
uh, physical slides, like mm -hmm. like the transparent things that you would put and project, and a recording explaining an audio recording in some sort of tape explaining the audio, and then mailing that to to collaborators and and just how how science how different it is now <laughs> that, that um, we just like DM each other or send an email, <laughs> um, and so it was just fascinating to to hear that for me. Yeah, I have to say, so so Nancy interviewed uh, Dr. Huda Akil, and then I wrote the, that profile, and I, yeah, writing her profile was, she definitely, that was one of my, my favorite um, interviews, interview and profile we've done. Um, I think a couple others for me, I think Bianca Jones-Marlins is definitely one of my favorites. Um, that was another, uh, Nancy did that interview, and then I, I wrote it up. Um, but I think she is just such a great storyteller and just has has accomplished so much and and I really loved hearing her story. And then um, one interview that I did that might have been my favorite um, was Dr. Sally Temple. Uh, and so I think if you, maybe to fully appreciate it, you really have to understand how important her work has been in like cellular molecular neuroscience um to to just so that you can understand how insanely humble she's being about it um but uh i there are just a couple parts also of her story that were so amazing to me and she was thinking about running her own group she like really didn't feel like she was clicking with the like traditional university path but she also didn't really want to go into industry and so she and her husband just co-founded an institute so that they could do the type of science like they were envisioning and I just think and she did that a couple times in her career of just like wow. seeing a seeing a gap and then like founding a thing because it didn't exist so she created it and I just think um like her boldness in doing that is just so cool and empowering and um, and then towards the end, she talks a little bit about the importance of defining what success looks like for you personally and your priorities and to like not get caught up in this idea that success is only at like the top ranked institutions in these big cities because that didn't fit with her uh, priorities for like a good life for her family. And so preach she's like I can find a different place to do to do amazing excellent top-notch science it doesn't have to be at one of those places um and so yeah I just think uh, a few parts of that interview are really powerful to me um so go listen to Sally's but please ignore me because I still I still think it's so cringe to listen to myself doing interviews um so just go listen to to just Sally. I can extract just Sally's um, audio yeah. track. <laughs> and make a special uh, version of just Sally. Katie, um, after so many necessary. years, you're still not used to. Some things you just don't. I yeah. mean, yeah, I just, I feel more comfortable writing. I mean, I do though, I do think it's a really special opportunity to interact with these incredible scientists. And I, when I'm doing the interviews, I really enjoy them. I sometimes cringe a little bit when I listen back to myself okay. just being very <laughs> awkward in the in-between moments. Like when I, I don't know, I feel like I just, yeah, respond to everything with like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, I have no insight, <laughs> no good insights. But, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I totally agree with Katie. Not that, not that she can't be listened to but that I too have like feel very self-conscious <laughs> listening to and I feel like I am someone who has like terrible like phone anxiety and stuff you know but like so I I similarly am more comfortable not in front of the mic like doing more of the behind the scenes writing stuff but that said like I think really the thing the like anecdotes and in the interviews that I remember the most are from the ones that I did the interviews for because every time I've done an interview I come away like oh my god that was amazing and I just have this like rush of like thrill <laughs> um and you know so so I don't really have just one but just a lot of those um that 
like women I I had the privilege of like talking to directly, like Caroline Palavicino Maggio, like Dayu Lin, Nantia Sudana, um, just to name a few or some that like were just really fun and I came away just like inspired and like ready to go conquer the world. <laughs> um, but two, I think one of my like favorites that's um that's really stuck with me was actually not one that I did the interview for, although I did write the profile and that was Alison Barth. Um, and that like, it was honest, it was sort of just like her discussion. It just kind of like encapsulated a lot of what I'd been like thinking about from all of our different interviews and what, you know, I think we've touched on a lot today of this sort of like lack of a mold. Um, and, you know, she is, I definitely recommend, she just has this great discussion of like, you know, getting a lot of pushback and unfair treatment for like the way she was and how she wasn't necessarily fitting the quote unquote mold of what a woman scientist is. And more kind of her critical insight, I thought, was that there is such a narrow mold for women. I think a lot of the mistreatment and misogyny and, and what have you rampant in the field kind of comes from that there is such a narrow mold for women in the way that that's that's just not true for men. So that was something that particular discussion and kind of insight she had has just like really stuck with me and continues to sort of frame a lot of how I think about um, this project and and came into our like Jay Neuro article a lot. And so, uh, you know, not that wasn't necessarily like a spicy anecdote or whatever. But, you know, I think a lot of these, um, you know, it's not necessarily the like crazy stories they went through, but sometimes they just say something that sort of clicks with you. Um, and, and that was one for me. Yeah, the timing also, you know, sometimes there would be periods of time where I'd be like, I don't know, you know, the, the classic doubt thing. And then I would be like, oh, I got to edit this audio this week. And then I would be listening and I would be like, you know what? <laughs> I can do it. And this person's story is so inspiring. And it they literally, you know, they would bring me back in a way. They they were very recentering to edit the audio. For a while, I was the only person editing the audio. So I listened to every single episode. Um, many times, actually. But yeah, I think that <laughs> I uh, and in slow motion, uh, not motion, but you know, <laughs> it's slow, slow playback speeds and you know, whatever, zoomed in. Um, but uh, I think that's what really was super cool I think for me is that the ability of this project to help me recenter without me intentionally realizing that's what it that's the role it has been playing for me this whole time but yeah for me uh all those interviews were great Caroline Palavicino Maggio was probably my favorite of the recent ones for sure though to not fitting the mold to being your authentic self <laughs> cheers to that <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah. And to a hundred more that. episodes. Yeah. And to a hundred more episodes. Oh, hundreds. <laughs> hundreds of more. Yeah. Hundreds more. <laughs> 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 <sighs> Do you have any final thoughts? I really want to thank all of our listeners. I mm. Yeah, thank you for making this project what it is. I think I mean, as much as we do enjoy it doing it ourselves, we might not be doing it if um if it weren't for you. So Thank you to our listeners. And with that, I'll transition to the final part of the episode, which includes some other insights from our dedicated Stories of Win members as they reflect on their experiences. My name's Leslie, and I interview, write, and edit for Stories of Win. I joined Stories of Win after meeting Megan at a conference in. February 2020, before everything sort of shut down. At the conference, Megan and I became friends, and afterwards, we followed each other on Twitter. It was then that I saw in her Twitter bio that she was a co-founder of Stories of Win, and I thought that was so cool because I had just started listening to the podcast a few months prior. Um, and so after talking with her, I just hopped on a Zoom and met the rest of the Win team, which was pretty small at that point, and just really connected with all of the women. And I felt really lucky to, at that difficult point in 2020, um, be able to meet new people, start new projects, and just be very so welcomed uh, onto the team. 
Hi, I'm Caitlin and I interview and write profiles for Stories of Win. I first became involved with Stories of Win through a friend who used to write and interview for the podcast. When she left academia for a job in industry, she asked if I would be interested in taking over her role. I was already familiar with the podcast and jumped at the chance to be involved and I'm so glad that I did. I'm really grateful she gave me the opportunity. It's been such a joy to be a part of the Win team. My name is Gage Schneider and I'm on the audio team and I help edit the podcasts. I joined Stories of Win in May of 2022. I mainly joined because I am passionate about supporting women in STEM. While I was in college, I had participated in a science outreach volunteer organization that focused on mentoring girls aged K through eight and taught them science programming and encouraged them to pursue educations and careers in STEM. Following college, I was really interested in continuing similar work. I actually work in the same lab that Nancy did her postdoc in, which is how I became familiar with Stories of Win. But I was connected to Daniela through a graduate student in my lab after I heard that they were looking for more audio support. I had coincidentally gained a lot of audio recording and editing experience in my final semester of undergrad because I had directed a virtual production of a musical and I thought it was a perfect opportunity to be a part of science outreach and provide technical and audio support for a great cause. Hi, I'm Margarida and I conduct interviews for Stories of Win. And the way I joined the team was that, in fact, before I was already a really big fan of the podcast. I started listening to it when I was a master's student. And for me, it was really crucial to motivate me. And also, I think the way it really impacted me was that it allowed me to know what were challenges and the things that contributed to success of established women in neuroscience. And that for me was really important because as a first generation student, I feel like sometimes we have to put extra effort into understanding these things. And so it was really a big help for me to understand how things work and how I can be maybe more successful. Hi, I'm Meenakshi Ashokan. I conduct interviews and manage the website for Stories of Win. During the end of my grad school, I was just another member of the audience. Stories of Win was my favorite podcast and it inspired and influenced me a lot. So now I'm super grateful to give back and contribute to this project. I think the best bit of the podcast is being able to meet all of these wonderful and inspiring women. These interviews always remind me why neuroscience research is such an interesting and exciting world to be a part of. And I love hearing about our interviewees' individual journeys to where they are now. I also love being part of a project that makes neuroscience and academia feel more accessible. These interviews offer a really human perspective on what it's like to work in neuroscience research. And I really hope we're making research feel more like an environment that our listeners could see themselves in. I think something really special about Stories of Win is that individuals who have joined the group and been writers, editors, web managers, interviewers, they've come from so many different places within the scientific arena. There have been research technicians, PhD students, postdocs, and now faculty members. And I think with this diversity of individuals at so many different stages, and because we've been a relatively small team, it's just been so great to be able to have these different perspectives and conversations that we have as a group. And also, so many people have stayed on at Stories of Win even after transitioning from different positions, from getting their PhDs and starting postdocs or finishing postdocs and moving on as a faculty member. And I think having this continuum of knowledge and perspective has just been really cool to see grow and evolve for an individual at the same time as the group is also sort of maturing. One thing I've learned from the podcast is how much new PIs have to learn as they go along when they're first setting up their lab. If there's one thing we hear time and time again, it's that there's really no guidance on how to set up a lab or how to be a good mentor or manager of people. And there's often a lot of trial and error involved to begin with. It gives me huge respect for the scientists who face those challenges and come out the other side, but also makes me think something needs to change to help the next generation of PIs feel more supported. Yeah, it has been a really interesting learning process as well for me, how to conduct interviews. I really love talking to people and listening to their stories. It's a really interesting thing to be on the other side conducting the interviews. 
And I'm also really happy because I've been mostly interviewing women from Europe, which before I joined were a bit underrepresented. And hope that this contributes also to the mission of telling the stories of women from diverse backgrounds. I'm really happy to be part of the team. What I love the most about Stories of Win is that it captures both the science and the scientific trajectories of so many inspiring women, especially the challenges they face along the way and how they overcome that. One thing that surprised me on the podcast is that often the people we interview tell us they could easily have ended up doing other things. I think sometimes we assume that PIs and professors have wanted to do research their entire lives, but actually they often have a lot of passions and interests that could have taken them in some very different directions. It's reassuring in my eyes for people that are still figuring out what their interests are to know that people who've produced some really amazing research haven't necessarily always been focused on one idea or problem. There's almost always an element of chance involved and their lives could easily have turned out very differently if they'd taken different opportunities. I think one of my favorite parts of the podcast is that by showcasing the amazing work done by a variety of women in neuroscience, we're not only increasing representation and sharing their work with a larger, more far-reaching audience, we are also showing how they take up space and that they are meant to take up space and have their stories be told. When I edit, I love hearing someone's voice fill with joy and pride when they discuss their work and their journey. It really is an honor and a privilege to be witness to that.